This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. So phase two reopening, huh? You ready? We're almost there. Are we ready? The emotions seem to drift between excitement and apprehension. And probably rightly so. Because what do we have to remember? The virus hasn't changed. But at the same time, maybe we've learned, maybe we have the ability to have some businesses get back to some semblance of normal so the doors are not completely shuttered, so that in the case of restaurants, we're not seeing things that are just takeout. And they've been trying to, just like we did last night, literally weather the storm. For hotels and motels, it's a very different story right now. And joining us to talk about this and look at some of the things that are on the can and cannot do as far as restaurants go is the president and CEO of the Ontario Restaurant Hotel and Motel Association, Tony Alenis. Tony, thank you so much for taking some time for us. How are you? My pleasure. And it's a great sunshine day after that storm you mentioned. Yeah, it's uh, that was something last night, but we did get some sunshine at the end of it, and we're getting a little bit of sunshine this weekend, which will make patio-goers at restaurants quite happy, but we're still trying to figure out what can and can't be done in terms of making use of those restaurant patios. Is the information being given to restaurants so at least they have it, or are they wondering themselves? Well, first of all, we're, we're excited that the industry is opening. This is positive for the industry, and there's apprehensions. There's implications, of course. Uh, we were hoping and, and we were asking as an industry to ensure that there would be one set of rules across the 34 public health units in Ontario, uh, one set of rules that are driven by the Ministry of Health. Um, and thus far, uh, as far as I know, Toronto Public Health Unit is the only unit that has uh, prescribed rules uh, over and above the guidance given by the ministry. And Toronto is not even open yet without doors. So we are waiting and anticipating other health units uh, might uh, have some tweaks around that, but there will be some type of guidance from each one. And here we are. We're the day before all of this gets to happen and the only rules and regulations you've been able to find come from toronto and they're not even moving into phase two okay so so there is some ambiguity out there what do we know about going to a restaurant patio and and maybe i'll i'll specify a little bit there are people who are pretty sure they can go in a group of 10 so they can just round up the ball team that they play on in the summer and go and enjoy some beverages on the patio if that was a scenario that was proposed, does that fit within the specifications? Well, as I read it, and as you most likely read it, at this point, the rule of groups combining up to five people has been extended to ten people. Ten people can be together. So that would allow, in my view, in my interpretation, that, that ten people would be made up of non-family members, so any anyone in the group. The only okay. one, the only rule that has come out as far as restaurants um, go from the ministry yet is, is more basic guidelines and, the, and follow the distancing of the two-meter or six-feet rule. 
That's really the only rule that has come out yet. The other guidance is more to ensure that practices need distancing and, and, and cleaning, sanitization, and, and uh, a touchless type of an environment. And, and, and we, your ORMA, uh, my organization has actually uh, developed a set of protocols that everyone can find on dinesafe.ca that would provide you with checklist and a guide of how to open your patio when you do open it. Okay, so dinesafe.ca. At least there's there's a, a piece of reference, which is good, because like you say, you can get together in groups of 10, but you're also indicating that that physical distancing would still need to happen, so it's not like you can bunch into a table, is it? No, no. There's still there's still some uh, some issues and barriers that you know the operators will find, and hopefully we'll work through that. Uh, there will be a, a sort of a, a suspension stage that, that we're all going to be learning from it. But at this point, if we just follow the six meter rule, two meter rule, sorry, six feet and, or two meter rule, uh, I mean, we, we can work around that. Um, just to make sure, though, you know, the, the biggest obstacle we've seen is to create trust with the consumer. We want them back and we want them to come back. So, um, you know, much of the operation will change specifically to concentrate on sanitation and cleaning and, as I said, the touchless type of uh, uh, practices that should be in place. Absolutely. Tony Alanis joining us, president and CEO of the Ontario Restaurant, Hotel and Motel Association. We'll get to hotels and motels and some of their challenges in a moment. But you mentioned the cleaning processes. Restaurants are going to bring in extra staff members. Their job is going to be to clean. When it comes to being touchless, there are a lot of places that have said we can't accept cash has there been any directive in terms of how guests at restaurants in this province can pay? Yeah, the, um, the recommendation we're making is for all restaurants to start transitioning over to, Q, to QR codes, which is very cost-effective. Really, there's no cost with it, and it's the ability of a, a, of a, a customer to download their menus into, their, into the customer's own mobile device. And there's ways and means that we... We walk them through on our um, dinesafe.ca. But there, there's many uh, applications like that, and the whole industry needs to move with that. If you do stay with hard copy menus, I would recommend, I would strongly recommend to go with throwaway and disposable ones like placements. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And in terms of washrooms or shelter in the rain, we've seen that shelter in the rain has to be provided, that washrooms will be available to guests. Those are, are okay as far as what you've heard? Yes. Under the, the health code, uh, any food service that opens has to have a washroom, uh, and they will need to be used by those uh, sitting in the outdoor areas. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I mean, it's it's a new world, and it's kind of kind of difficult uh, to read in exactly how this will play out. It, it matters that everybody pays attention. Just got an email saying my friend that owns a restaurant says he was told it was one person per one point four meters. I don't know if we're getting rulers out and and measuring tapes, but yeah. you know the directives have been given, and we'll see how everything does play out yeah. this weekend. Tony, before we let you go, we do have to talk about hotels and motels. What can you tell us about their situation? Yeah, yeah. Before we go to that, that one point one rule is really 
the table area that, that 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 would be located in the outdoor area. That's where that. Oh, gotcha. From. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. So one point four meters between tables. Right. Okay. And some of those tables have actually been taken out of patios or, or, you know, things have been extended into parking lot areas or other parts of restaurants. We should be ready for that, shouldn't we? Which, which is a good, yeah, and it's 1.4 for the, the radius of the area, the diameter of the area of, the, of where the table is sitting, just to make sure that it's clarified. Then each okay. table would still have the distancing rules around it. Okay, so the tables have distancing rules. So let's let's talk about that one point four, just so that we all understand. That would be the kind of the circular area. That would be the radius around the actual table where everybody's sitting. So in other Correct. words, you can't have massive tables then. Correct. Ah, so that prevents putting twenty people at a table. Your tables right. then have to be pretty small. Do we do we have a number as to how many people can actually sit at a table? I, I'm trying to picture what one point four yeah. meters is, but it's not that big. And as we're interpreting it, you know, the, the the areas are changing and there would be something would be posted on that site, I would say to you, by the end of the day as we're waiting for clarification from uh, the Alcohol Gaming Commission as well. All right. Do you wish you had more time? I mean, as much as restaurants want to get back open, and that's understandable, do you wish you had a little more time for preparation? Absolutely. You know, and, and these are the questions that, that were posted to the Minister of Health and and more, more, more questions than what you're mentioning, and for whatever reason, uh, they have not responded. Yeah. Hmm. If there was a question that you had that you would really want to know the answer to, is there one in specifics, or would it be a whole bunch? Well, there's a whole bunch. It's not just that. There's a lot of details around it. And when I reviewed the Toronto Public Health rules, uh, I was amazed how they came up with new rules we did not even imagine. <laughs> Wow. Well, it is a very fluid situation. We want to thank you for all of your time today, Tony. But as as we finish off, just hotels and motels, what can you tell us about them? Well, the whole hospitality industry has been devastated. Uh, 50% of the hotels in Ontario have been closed. The 94% occupancy dropped from a, a year ago. Uh, and, and, and those that have um, stayed open, most of them, are because of support for the health workers and temporary foreign workers or those that are isolated. So they also have to pick up the pieces. And without food and beverage, without commercials, commercial areas open, without meetings and conferences going on, it's going to be a painful road. But we are encouraged. We're starting to see some uh, occupancies uh, move up you know, across Ontario. Uh, they're going to be what we call staycations, local areas that would be uh, visited by locals more so than visitors with the borders closed, even interprovincial borders closed. So we're going to see a lot of visitation from uh, one area of Ontario to the other. And, and, and that is encouraging. I uh, believe the in- industry is going to survive uh, and it's going to be probably come out of it strong. Uh, the consumer is eager to get out of their homes. They're bored. They want to mm-hmm. travel. It's just going to be a bit painful and a different operation because of the new rules of distancing that will be there. Well, those new rules, if we can abide by them, are going to make a big difference for a lot of businesses. So let's make sure that we abide by those rules. You said dinesafe.ca is the best way to go? Correct. 
dinesafe.ca. Very easy website to remember, and it will have lots of recommendations. And as Tony pointed out, it will have new recommendations perhaps even later today. So make sure you check that out if you are headed to a restaurant patio this weekend. If you're lucky enough to get a reservation, because those have been filling up quickly. Tony, please be safe, and thank you so much for the latest information on this. Thank you. Pleasure to be on your show. Pleasure to have you. That is Tony Alenis. He is the president and CEO of the Ontario Restaurant, Hotel, and Motel Association. So dinesafe.ca, and everybody's still scratching their heads over things. And how do you know a 1.4-meter radius for a table? How do you measure that? That just means don't have a big table, and you still have to physical distance. So if you're thinking, yeah, I'm going to get 10 friends together, yeah, that's a group of 10, but make sure that you're able to physical distance. How are you going to sit at a table and still be two meters apart from everybody? You can do it, but you'd have to have a really big table, which restaurants apparently can't have, and you'd have to be spaced out at that table, so you're not bringing 10 friends. It's more like you're bringing four. lot to figure out here, and then it has to be carried out. And how much is it being policed? Probably not that much. It's up to us to figure out what to do and do it right. Is that what we're getting? Tony says he wishes he had more time. Every restaurant wants to open up, but just to understand how things are going to work, that's kind of the feeling they're going in with. So a storm came through the area last night, and if you were outside in any way or perhaps near a wall of your home and you heard that rain that was coming from the side hitting that side of your home or hitting a window, if you happen to feel some of that wind, you know that it was intense. Well, in some areas, in Belmont, in the Glencoe area, they're actually testing to see whether or not a tornado touched down. Things got very, very windy and very, very serious. Joining us right now is Kelly Jansen, who knows all too well how serious some of those winds were last night. Kelly, thanks so much for being here. Hey, no problem. How are you doing? I am great now. <laughs> okay, I, I like that, the, the, yeah. the great now. Uh, then yeah. let's just talk a little bit about the before. So whereabouts do you live? In the Glencoe area, is that safe to say? Yeah, we're just uh, very close to Glencoe, yeah. Okay, little very close to Glencoe. Yeah. So one of those paths that they're checking out to see whether or not, in fact, a tornado did touch down. So take us through the storm from your perspective last night. Okay, well, <clears throat> I mean, I think we all live here, so we know to pay attention when there's a warning. <laughs> and from my perspective, I, I usually look to the Glencoe area to see what's coming. And it was extremely black, so you're thinking it's a definite thunderstorm coming our way. So normally you just start hunkering down and putting things away, which we did. And then thankfully, um, I was always taught by my parents, you watch the sky. So I was actually standing outside and it just came on black very quickly. And then um, my husband and my son were in our shop working like they normally do. And we had a friend and his son in there too. So you usually just hunker down, like this is going to be a big thunderstorm, and you kind of stay put. Uh, I was I went into the house with my daughter, and then all of a sudden, like one second, you're thinking major thunderstorm, and the next second, extremely black. We have a large row of tall evergreens, and I guess the aha moment for me was those, 
in a second, those were laying flat on the ground. Um, and then everything happened very quickly. So my daughter went to the basement and I'm thinking as a mom, I am sure parents everywhere can appreciate. I have one kid across the laneway (laughs) in the shop and one with me. So I think my husband and our friend and the two boys, they were thinking, uh, stay put as you typically do. He saw a hydro line was down pretty quick. And then, but my son told me this morning, when dad saw daylight coming through the roof, we then decided to move. So they came across. (laughs) Yeah. The roof ripped off when they were in there. And then they decided that's no longer safe. So they got over to the house, all kids into the basement. And then literally, like, they're not joking when they say it happens in a second and it's done. Um, And then it was just kind of looking around at the shrapnel. I remember thinking the the tin and the lumber and the insulation coming from the shop roof, it was like a snow globe, like if I looked out across the lawn. And then it was done. Then you're looking at what you need to do. And you're thanking your lucky stars because everybody's fine. Well, that's the good news. We're talking that's with Kelly news. Jansen, who lives in the Glencoe area, and last night, as Kelly says, in the matter of a second, it went from being a thunderstorm to something completely different. So when you look at the shop right now, that snow globe, how much of the roof <laughs> did it take away? You know, it took half the roof. I mean, it's, it's a big shop. Um, I guess a lot of stuff came out of that area and just ended up everywhere. We, uh, Glencoe is quite the community, so without getting emotional about it, there's, uh, there's help on the way very quickly. Um, you know, everybody's worried about each other and the crop and tin was all through the crop and, um, insulation was all over the yard and, um, it was definitely like, you know, you're, you're living it and you're kind of in go mode and then you take a second and you say, wait a minute. (laughs) So we had to pause. The hydro was an issue. As for a lot of people in the area, like this is no joke. It had a direct line. And the cool thing about you're all connected. Um, I had girlfriends that I work with saying we were just in the line of this storm. It's heading your way. You know how your phone's dinging off and you can't really pay attention to it. It was all happening at once. We're talking with Kelly Jansen, who had quite the experience last night. Everybody is okay. So how much of today has been about cleanup and picking up little pieces of tin and insulation from around the yard? And how are the trees? You know what? That is crazy. That's the moment. You know how you have a vision and you think, okay, I'm going to remember that forever. This one tree, there is no way it should be standing. It laid flat and it's back up. So we didn't have any trees being the issue it was our building i know a lot of people um uh, my best friend is dealing with a horse issue they have they have buildings down like it's different for everybody it had a definite path it took the roof of our building and then it kind of went between a silo and a huge tree and just continued on toward belmont well we'll find out today what the classification of what you went through (laughs) was but Kelly, thank you so much for reliving it. I'm sorry we made you relive it, but thank you for doing that. And again, it's great to hear that everybody is okay. And here's hoping that the shop can be okay one day too. Yeah, no problem. And you know what? I have two kids here I had to talk to about it. And it's all about a future plan. Like when they're saying get that bin ready in their ba- in your basement <laughs> with a blanket and a flashlight and whatever, that's no joke. And I think that's what everybody needs to do. You need to watch the sky and then you need to know where to go.
Yeah, that's amazing advice because how many mm-hmm. of us can actually say, yeah, you know what, I know where the flashlight is or I've tested to see if those batteries have worked in the last three years or yeah, I absolutely. have supplies if I had to stay downstairs or I know where we'd go. How many people don't even have a plan for, yeah, you know, we, we used to when the kids were little. We don't have a plan right now for what we no. would do if all of a sudden, and you say it happens so fast. Yeah, and you do, just for peace of mind too, just have a safe place to go and have some stuff to do while you get there especially for the kids, because that's just a distraction. But, uh, you know, we're ta- speaking of, like, educating the next bunch. We're, we complain a lot about the weatherman and blah, blah, blah. We don't get warning. Uh, my husband nailed it last night. He said, if we're in, in between five lakes, it's, it's impossible to predict a lot of stuff, right? Like, it's happening fast and it's changing fast. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for the details of what that storm brought to the Glencoe area last night. Keep safe through not just any other storm that may come around, but everything else we're dealing with as well. Thanks so much for the time. Okay, no problem. That's Kelly Jansen. Wow. Is that a story? When your son says, Dad, I can see daylight, and you're in an enclosed shop where no daylight should be getting in, uh, that's a time to make a, a drastic move, and they did. They moved to the house. They got downstairs. Everybody's safe. Trees that lay flat have now bounced back up, and the cleanup is certainly continuing in Glencoe as, again, we have some Western University researchers going through to determine whether what that was was a tornado. And then, of course, we have other visuals of what could be a tornado from Belmont, courtesy of Global News Chief Meteorologist Anthony Farnell. Privacy has been an issue for us for a long, long time. I mean, rewind time a little bit. Let's go back to before the Internet. Anybody remember that? There was a discussion today among our co-workers here at Global News Radio 980CFBL about Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill album coming out. That came out early 90s, and somebody had said, yeah, I, I wasn't born yet. I was born four years after the release of that album. And we live in a world where you work with a lot of people who were born four years or more after the release of Jagged Little Pill. I'm not saying we should set that as a benchmark for our world, but it could be. The point is, those people know the internet and nothing but. And they have kind of the the understanding that what they put out there stays out there. Their world has always had that. Or that they build a digital double. And privacy is, is kind of a different thing. It's something they protect. They don't worry when all of a sudden their phone starts sending weird text messages to somebody. They can look at it, be calm, and kind of interpret what's going on and say, okay, all right, these these are not actual text messages coming from your phone. This just has control of whatever happens to be sending it. You don't have to worry. They haven't, they haven't hijacked your phone. The rest of us think, ah, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. So the world is a little bit different. But we still have to monitor where our data is going. We still have to be aware of how it's being used. And it's becoming increasingly difficult to do that. So privacy is still a big issue for us. And as people start to go back to work or plan to go back to work at some point, if you have spent some time at home or you have been away from work, I mean, even if you're at home, it's not like you're dealing daily necessarily with your bosses. So 
do those bosses have the right to ask you for different types of data? Do they have the right to ask you questions about where you were? What are you doing? To the point that you'll feel like a 13-year-old teenager who went out on a date for the very first time and had their parents ask them questions about where they went, what they did. Did you actually go to the movie? Can you Can you provide proof of this? Joining us right now is Dr. Thomas Cook, and he is a privacy, ethics, and internal threat assessment manager at the Center for Advanced Computing, as well as the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada Postdoctoral Fellow at the Surveillance Studies Center, both at Queen's University. Dr. Cook, great to have you back on the show. It's always my pleasure. Thank you for having me once again. Well, let's kind of dig into what we need to do in order to share the appropriate information, but at the same time know what it is that people are entitled to ask. Like everything, is it just as convoluted and vague at the same time as as a number of other questions we wind up asking? (laughs) It could be, and you never know which way it's going to go when you have me on the show, right? But I'll try to make (laughs) this as simple as possible. That's the fun! Yeah, there's a little bit of fun in it. You know, as we're transitioning back into the workplace, you know, some some employers have moved from the kind of brick-and-mortar storefront into this kind of e-commerce digital marketplace sort of setup, and that that might seem strange. So if, if you've been working at home and now you're going back to a storefront and you know that your employer has been shifting the focus, or maybe you've been caught in between all of that. You've been working from home, for example, but now you have to go spend some of your time at the store. These are good opportunities to ask simple questions. And I think you should. You can ask anything. As a Canadian, you're not going to get in trouble for asking questions. And I hate to say it to the employers out there in the city that are listening to us talk right now, because um, you should be expecting quite a few questions. And I have some some suggestions for employers that we can talk about later. But I encourage anybody uh, listening that is going back to the stores, continuing to work online or a combination of the two, to recognize that the previous requirement, the legal requirement, for the disclosure of personal information by your employer to the government, for example, is gone. There is no disclosure, uh, consent for disclosure agreement anymore. Under the Emergency Measures Act, employers are expected to give any personal information they have on you, especially if it pertains to your health, without refusal. And in fact, if you're an employer and you refuse to do so, you're looking at fines of upwards of $200,000. So, Go and talk to your employer and just ask, what data and what information are you giving to the government, if you are? Let's have a conversation about it. It's very simple, and you should be doing it right now. Okay, and that you shouldn't have any apprehension about going to your boss and and saying those words? No, not at all, because your employer is feeling a lot of pressure right now as well. I don't know how many employers have actually uh, received um, notices or phone calls from the Ministry of Health or Health Ontario or the PHO or anything like that. But what has been made kind of unclear, but is certainly happening right now, Mike, is that there has been a legal change. Under PHIPAA, which is the Personal Health and Information Protection Act, there have been changes. And with the Emergency Measures Act coming in, PHIPAA has had to change as well. PHIPAA can't protect us from an employer or a government going to an employer and saying, we need you to give up the information. In fact, that that kind of right has been removed in an emergency situation. So as this this data is being requested by the government of your employer, they're going to be confused. Your your middle management and and your, your presidents and CEOs, they're going to be a bit confused about how to proceed. 
And if they've heard anything, it's that there's a, a very, very heavy fine for not complying. So just start off a conversation. Buy your boss a coffee and say, I've been working for you online. I'm coming back. Somebody in my house has been sick. I don't think it's COVID. Maybe don't say that. I don't know. It's up to you. Maybe you shouldn't. But just starting a conversation about whether or not there are pressures being exerted upon your employer to share certain personal health information is a really, really good starting point. I think these are very, very pertinent privacy things because what is considered reasonable and what is considered appropriate differs depending upon who you're talking to in government and and getting a clear sense of what security means in the context of personal information as COVID is happening is really, really confusing. Yeah. And that's kind of across the board. And, and we understand, Hey, things are changing day by day. Someone asked earlier today, what do you think it's going to be like in six months? And the response was, well, I don't know if I can tell you what it's going to be like in the next six hours. So it's kind of difficult to know, but at the same time, it sounds like we, we do at least have some little parameters that we can go by or, or little tips and tricks that we can go by. So buy your boss a coffee. That's a good starting point. Hang out. It's always good to buy your boss a coffee every once in a while. That's <laughs> You earn great points bringing your boss a coffee. So what do you want to make sure that, that you are getting across in that conversation, Dr. Cook? It's important to signal to your employer that um, you establish a, a relationship of trust and transparency. Your employer right now, probably within the last two years, just finished overhauling their data um, handling provisions, any data privacy policy that has existed within your organization, almost certainly has changed in the last two years. And and a lot of that is not because of of legislative changes in Canada, but actually internationally. Um, In Europe, the general data protection legislation which most people call GDPR, is the thing that's responsible for when you go into a website now and it says, hey, these are the cookies that we're using on your computer right now. Are you okay with that? (laughs) And you can read a little bit more. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. They come up all the time. Yeah, you can't get away from them, right? That's because of legislation on the other side of the planet. It has nothing to do with Canada. But the point is, that I'm trying to make here, is that your employer is still doing it. And the reason why they're doing it is because if they have European customers or European visitors, they can get in trouble with the European government if they don't handle and disclose data usage in an open and transparent way. We, unfortunately, as Canadians, do not benefit from the same thing. So when you're talking to your employer, it will be helpful to say, hey, here's the coffee. By the way, what kind of data are you collecting from my computer or from our connection on Zoom or Skype? Or when we use a virtual desktop, when I'm working from home, is the data collection expectation from your boss in turn changed since I stepped foot inside of the store? Are you guys expected to continue sending digital bits of information? And the reason why this stuff is pertinent is because there's people in government right now, as we've discussed in the past, Mike, who assume that data on your phone, data on your computer, how you use Amazon, how you use eBay, all that sort of stuff, tells a story about your healthiness. It's kind of an absurd science fiction imagination to assume <laughs> that data from one context is relevant for national security, right? It's it's a very, very big stretch, but it's, it's a conversation and a tension point that we can't get away from in society. So if you can be having these conversations with your employer that simply say, can you look into it for me? Can you please be transparent enough to say that, yes, you know what? Um, there's more people in government or there's other companies that are, are approaching us 
to do analytics on how our customers and how you as employees are using our website. And I think that's a really good starting point for you then to start going to other places of information to learn how to better protect yourself because you do need a context. If you don't have a context for abuse or harm, how can you know how to proceed? So the next step then after that, Mike, and everyone who's listening, is to go to the Privacy Commissioner's website. In Ontario, you can go to the IPC, the Information and Privacy Commissioner of Ontario's website. I also encourage you to go to the federal level. That's the OPC, the Office of Privacy Commissioner of Canada. And they have guidelines and regulations that help employers, you know, work through these kind of conversations that are going to get kicked up when you bring them coffee. They're, they have specific suggestions about how to amend uh, consent, disclosure forms, privacy policies, and all of that. So there is help, but you do need a context, unfortunately, in terms of, uh, you know, how to protect yourself in the context of COVID-19. We're talking right now with Dr. Thomas Cook, Privacy Ethics and Internal Threat Assessment Manager at the Center for Advanced Computing, as well as the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada Postdoctoral Fellow at the Surveillance Studies Center, both at Queen's University. Okay, then let's flip the tables and let's look at it from an employer's standpoint. What do they need to know about dealing with their employees if they happen to be the one to buy the coffee? Yeah. <laughs> It's interesting how the tables turn so quickly. (laughs) Uh, I've already touched on these things just a little bit, but there's some simple things that employers can be doing um, to make sure that they're transparent and accountable to their employees. Like I said earlier at the beginning of this this, this really great chat, um, establishing trust with people coming back to work or who have been working for you online is really, really important right now because... The big data analytics industry is exploding again. Look at Amazon, for example. Jeff Bezos, how much money he's making now? Like he's he's going to clear a trillion dollars next year. A lot of this is coming from COVID because not just the fact that they're selling more things uh, online and, and delivering to their household, because the data analytics dimension of what he's doing is hugely profitable. And a lot of that data is being sold to companies that are, are mining for COVID. So... With all of this stuff in the background, I think being able to reciprocate those conversations is a really strong, uh, strong starting point. But there are, there are some other simple things that you should be doing, like asking your employees if they have virus protection on their computer. Do they use an email client that is amenable to uh, encryption? If, if it's not, work with them to make sure that you have an established, strong, encrypted email link between your employee's computer and your own so that that data doesn't get intercepted by hackers who are increasingly going after people who are working from home. I can say matter-of-factly that the Center for Advanced Computing has seen an exponential increase in cyber attack threats and attempts to break into our system since day one of COVID. It's actually scary. So working on those kinds of things is really important. Going back to the OPC and the IPC websites to get some help about how to build awareness around data in the context of COVID-19 and privacy and ethics, those are things that you can do as well, and I suggest that you get some training programs going in in that sense. And then dovetailing back on some of the things that I've already talked about, um, thinking about data abroad. If you have clients who... You're working with internationally, for example. You are required by law, regardless of the Emergency Measures Act right now, to be compliant with PIPIDA. And and PIPIDA is the federal legislation for, for personal information protection in Canada. If you are not compliant with PIPIDA, you could be getting into a lot of trouble. 
And the data that you're sending out is shifting in meaning and context and value. So please go back to your privacy policies and make sure that they're they're up to snuff with Pipita so you don't get into trouble. And then lastly, I think it's really important to just make sure that the purposes of how you're collecting data on your employees, on your customers and your clients makes sense in the context of COVID-19. Now is not a good time to experiment with big data analytics. You might learn something new about how people's shopping and browsing preferences have shifted a little bit since COVID became a thing. But the risk of you getting into trouble in terms of degrading the relationship with your employee and potentially getting in trouble with foreign governments is exponentially high right now. Don't use the cookie-cutter privacy and consent policies that you developed two years ago after GDPR came out in, in Europe. Go back, talk to your IT people, and make sure that everything you're collecting makes sense. If it's not something that you would want to experience as an employee or a customer, get rid of it and just focus on what matters right now, the relationship between yourself and your employees. Dr. Cook, we can't thank you enough for spelling this out as you have. You've been helpful to both sides of the table. Not many people can pull that off, but you've done it. So thank you, and please stay safe. The trick is just really strong coffee, Mike. I hope you stay safe as well. (laughs) Thank you for having me on. Take care, London. We'll talk to you soon. We will talk soon. That is Dr. Thomas Cook and his really strong coffee. Uh, Dr. Cook is a privacy, ethics, and internal threat assessment manager at the Center for Advanced Computing, as well as a Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada postdoctoral fellow at the Surveillance Studies Center, both at Queen's University. You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.